Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Well, next Saturday, or not this Saturday, of course, next Saturday, history awaits for one of these two teams, the Western Bulldogs looking for their third ever premiership and Melbourne looking for their first since 1964. So to create history, we've got to sort of look back to history and I was really excited to know that we were going to be able to speak to our next guest this evening. He's a former Melbourne captain and former Melbourne best and fairest winner. He played 168 games for the Demons and most importantly was part of that last premiership team in 1964 coming off a halfback flank in just his first year in the VFL. He went on to be an assistant coach of Melbourne. Uh, Frank Davis has been good enough to jump on the line with us. Hello to you, sir. How are you, Sam? Nice to talk to you. It's lovely to talk to you. Um, how do we find you in these COVID times? Uh, how are you travelling? Uh, yeah, we're travelling all right. Uh, yeah, we. Uh, there's not much we can do. I mean, we're, you know, as you say, we're all in lockdown and uh, we just uh, mind our own business and, you know... Do things at home and uh, go for a walk and all those sort of things that you can do. But um, yeah, it's a bit hard. You know, we can't see our grandkids and that sort of thing. But yeah, we've got to put up with it and hopefully, uh, you know, down the track it opens itself up. So last Friday night, I'd love to know how were you feeling watching that unfold? What were the emotions that you were experiencing? Oh yeah, look. I thought they were going pretty. I thought, honestly, mate, I thought they were going pretty well in the game. And uh, you know, just before half time, I actually said to my wife, "I said Melbourne will win this game by ten goals." So they keep going, and um, then in the next five minutes, Geelong kicked three goals. <laughs> uh, they put them back in the game, but then Melbourne sealed it in the third quarter. I just thought that they were, you know, too quick, too good. You know, handled the ball well and uh, moved it pretty well. So. It didn't surprise me that that sort of result happened. And when you were watching Max Gorn do his thing and turn the, the tide of that game and put it beyond doubt, um, I, it was a phenomenal performance. How did you rate it? Yeah, no, he's, uh, that, you know, it was obviously probably one of the best games he's ever played and, and you know, he led by example with, uh, with his, you know, with his ruck work in the middle of the ground and, you know, the way they are at the moment, you know, whether they can push him forward and and then Luke Jackson can come into the ruck, you know, that gives them another string to their bow up forward. And, yeah, I mean, he just took the opportunities and uh, and made the most of it. No, he was pretty good, I thought. Frank, we're going to talk a bit more about this year's team and we're going to find out from you who you really enjoy watching and, and, and your relationship with footy uh, in the modern era. But I want to go back to, to your era. Um, 1964, actually your first year, at the club, you, you came in for your first VFL season to a powerhouse of a, of, a, of a club, had won five premierships in nine years. Take us back to that first year and the experience as a 19-year-old, I think you were, 18, 19-year-old. Um, what a time to, to come into a footy club. Yeah, well, it was a 1964 from my personal point of view. It was a mixed year because my mum died early in 1964 in the March of the of 1964, she passed away, and um, you know that made it you know, made it difficult for, particularly for our family, where all the kids were pretty young. Mm. But in terms of, in terms of the football part of it, it was look. I just uh, I'd, I'd played come up through Melbourne under 19s. I'd um, played 
a season, two seasons with them, a season and a half uh, that I played. Um, basically, I walked in off the street to to play, you know, to play with Melbourne under nineteen because I had no idea what zone I lived in until I found out that uh, I was joined to Melbourne. So I went down to Melbourne in nineteen sixty, uh, the start of nineteen sixty two, and and sort of went from there and played in the nineteens, and then. At the end of 1963 or the start of 1964, I just got a letter from the club saying, look, you know, we'd like you to come down and do pre-season training. So I went down and did all of that. And um, at the end of it, the end of the pre-season, I, I really, I didn't make the senior list. I, uh, I made, you know, this, what they call back in those days a supplementary list, which is a bit like the rookie list that we've got in today's football. So mm-hmm. I... Um, I was basically just playing in the reserves. Um, unfortunately, one of the things with only making a supplementary list is that you're never trained with the senior side. So I always used to train with the under-19s down at Albert, the Albert ground. And it wasn't until I made the senior list um, for two-thirds of the way through the year that I got to train with the seniors. So I really, uh, I, I really didn't... I knew a lot of the senior players by name but I didn't personally know any of them at all so uh, yeah so that was alright and then you know I made this made the senior list uh, two thirds of the way through the year and then finished up uh, getting the first senior game against North Melbourne I think it was about round 13 or something like that at the MCG so uh, that's sort of how I how I've come to get started. So what was that experience like when you had to go to your first training with the senior players and you, you're rocking up there and there's Ron Barassi and Hassaman and players of, yeah. of this ilk, uh, you know, Don Williams in the centre and uh, what <laughs> talk us through well, that Yeah, well uh, look, to be honest it, it never it never really worried me I mean I was, you know, I just felt that I'd been playing a right in the reserves and, you know, that I, you know, maybe for one, but I deserve to, to get on, at least get on the senior list. I mean, I wasn't particularly looking at getting a game. I just that I thought, well, if I can, if I can get up onto the list, then that'll, that'll propel me forward to the next year. But the thing was that the first night I went to training, um, to senior training, I walked into the rooms and, and in the Melbourne rooms at that stage, opposite the door where, uh, you used to walk into the rooms with a with a property room, and that's where Norm Smith always got changed. That was sort of his room. He'd get changed to go out and train, and he saw me come into the rooms, and he came over to me and he said to me, um, "What are you doing there?" And uh, I said, "Oh, Mr. Cardwell rang me uh, yesterday and said that I'd been put on the senior list and I should come down and and train with the seniors." He said, "Oh, is that so?" He said, I wonder, well, why don't they tell me these sort of things? And then he just said, look, get your, get changed and get out on the ground and we'll go from there. So that was, You're that was kidding my first, me. That was my first in, introduction to uh, to senior ranks and to Norm Smith. I never, you know, I, I can't ever remember speaking to him prior to that. Um, I mean, the reserves always played before the seniors, but we changed in different rooms. So you never sort of got involved with the senior part of it. Frank, you were playing in the reserves. So, Frank, you, you, your first experience with the legendary Norm Smith is him asking, what on earth are you doing there? Your heart must have sank as a young fella. Yeah, well, I thought, well, shit, maybe I'm in the wrong place, you know. I, uh, I've come, but he, 
I mean, he was just trying to, you know, I think he was just trying to, he was Norm Smith and he was just trying to show that, you know, I'm in charge here and, uh, yep. you know, we'll go from there. But look, from, from I can never remember in the rest of them. I mean, I was only there, he was only there till 67 after he got the sack and came back. But I've never, you know, he treated me really, really well and mm. I never had any other problem with him in all the time that, that you know, we were, we were together at the club. You, you you must have impressed him because you you ended up in your first senior game. I believe that you kicked a goal with your very first kick, which is a celebrated yep. stat now in uh, in the tradition of the game. Uh, the the remarkable thing about that, and we'll get you to talk through your first goal, is that straight after that, pretty much you were put to the back line. And was it eight years later that you kicked your second ever career goal? Um, no, it must have been. Uh, it would have been probably ten years later, the last year that I played footy. <laughs> Um, out of Glenfrey Oval, I uh, I can remember that. I picked the ball up in the centre of the ground of Glenfrey Oval. You know, it's not a real big ground. And no. when no. I looked up, here was Don Scott coming at me at 100 miles an hour. So my first thought was to get rid of the balls, you know, and kick it as far as I can, which I did. And he ran over the top of me, and the umpire blew the whistle, and everybody stopped, and the ball rolled through for a goal, and that was the second goal. Do you remember your first one? So the, the first, yeah, the first one was in the first game I played. I came on. Oh, look, I would have thought maybe 15 minutes to go in the game and we play in North Melbourne at the MCG and I think, you know, it was something like 12 or 14 goals in front of that particular stage. So, um, yeah, I think um, Brian Keneally might have came off and, and uh, Norm put me on. He said, look, just have a run on the ball because he didn't think he could do any, any damage there. So he did that. Anyhow, I sort of was stood at the back of the pack and the ball came over the back and uh, I just picked it up and... In fact, it was on my right footer, but I can kick both feet, and I just kicked the left foot towards goal, and it went through the middle, so that was that. <laughs> the, uh, the, it's a great story, and so is the second goal, by the way, but they, they not long <laughs> after that, you, you get put to the back line, and it was a younger back line, wasn't it? I mean, apart from Tassie Johnson, who's a three-time premiership player and Melbourne Team of the Century, but yourself, um, Brian Rowett, Tony Anderson, Bernie Massey, and, and Neil Crompton, it was a... A, a, a probably less experienced part of that team than than maybe across the rest of the ground. Yeah, 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 yeah. The centre line was pretty good, but yeah, the back line was like that. But I mean, I was probably you know, in, in all sincerity, I mean, I was probably a bit lucky because Brian Lay normally played on the half back flank, and and uh, Wrecker had done his hamstring somewhere around about that particular time, and uh, and that's how I think I you know they they brought me in to see what I could do, but. I th- would have thought that had he been fit, I may not have played. But anyhow, that's the way it goes. That's what you do in footy. You take your chances. You you play well and your time comes and you play all right. And we see it every year with guys, you know, that, that do that sort of thing. Even young Bowie now that's in the Melbourne side. Mm. You know, he's he's a very similar situation to what I am. And uh, he's the same. He's, he's come in and played six or seven games. And he's played well enough to... And he's probably going to play in the grand final. So... That's what you do. I mean, the time comes and you've got to be ready for, for that particular stage and that's what happened. So, um, yeah. Do you... I've been playing in the back. I've been playing in the back line in the reserve. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so that was, uh, that's about, uh, you know, what I thought maybe I could uh, maybe play down there. Do you remember the build-up to that 1964 grand final and, and in the, the, the week leading up to and sweating about selection? What can you, can you take us back to, to the build-up to that day? Um, yeah, look, I, I, 
I mean, I never thought I'd miss out in the grand final. I mean, the one I thought I might miss out on was the second semi-final against Collingwood because we played Footscray in the last... Like, we'd... Tasha kicked a goal at um, at Hawthorne that, you know, that put us on top of the ladder and we couldn't miss the four. And then we went to Footscray the next week and Footscray belted the daylights out of us and uh, they won by something like, I don't know, eight or ten goals. And then I thought, well... Yeah, maybe they, uh, you know, maybe I'm in a bit of strife here because, um, you know, if Brian, if you know, if Brian Lay's fit and all the rest of it, they'll bring him back in. But he, he still wasn't fit by that stage, and it didn't look like he was ever going to get back. So, um, you know, and I finished up playing in that game, in the second semi, and we, as in, as we know, we we beat Collingwood by ten goals or something. So I wouldn't, I wasn't, you know, I thought well, they won't probably change the side around. Um, so, yeah, maybe I'm safe here, and that's how it turned out. We're speaking to Frank Davis on the Sporting Capital, uh, part of Melbourne's 1964 Premiership team. What are your memories, Frank, of, of Grand Final Day uh, itself? Um, well, I remember leaving home. Uh, I lived in South Oakley at that stage. Um, and I remember leaving home because the, the people, the neighbours across the road from us were fanatical Collingwood supporters, and they, you know, they decked their house out in black and white colours, and as I drove off, they, you know, gave me a wave with their thumbs down and all the rest of it, so uh, remember that part of it. Um, got to the G, yeah, I don't remember a lot about getting there, but I mean, once we got into the rooms, um, I remember Norm uh, herding all the players into the medical room, which is a bit bigger than a telephone box, and he just sort of, you know, playing to play his tricks and that. He just said, "Look, I've got a, I've got a, a message come through to me that there's some players here who don't think they can win today. You know, like we've beaten Collingwood by ten goals in the second semi. So I'm not sure where he got that from. <laughs> I, he just made, he just made it up because he just sort of said, "Well, if you like that, you know, put your hand up now, and I put somebody else in, and they can play in your place." Of course, no one put their hand up, and um, why well, we went. But yeah, no, I can remember the start of the game. Um, the crowd, you know, the roar of the crowd. But once once the game got underway, I I didn't really take much notice of the crowd, and it was just one of those games that um, because we couldn't kick straight, you know, we kept calling it in the game, and then they nearly pinched it from us. I, I want to speak about the third quarter because they almost did. But it was Norm as a coach? Because we know obviously the, the legend of Norm Smith, but we don't. For, for people of my ilk and generation and those after, we don't know about the man. What kind of coach was he, Frank? Was he a rah-rah sort of coach? Was Did he have the, the brilliant speech? Did he Was he a fiery and brimstone kind of guy? Or or how did he go about it to get the best out of you guys? Uh, look, he was, he was the boss sort of coach. Like, I'm the boss. This is what we do. This is the way we go about it. Uh, that sort of thing. I think he was particularly hard on the more senior players that were in the side to that they had to set the example to the other the other players. And there was two or three or three or four of us in the side, the Graham Jacobs, Barry Burke, myself, that were you know, we hadn't played a lot of football for maybe, you know, twenty odd games they'd played and I'd only played five at that stage. So he expected those sort of guys to um you know, to set the tone and, and, and that sort of thing and uh you know that was that's what he was. You know we were sort of dragged along by those guys, and uh, but they were the ones you know had that had to set the example for for the rest of the team. So the third quarter, 
which is, which is a fascinating um, part of, of this game. You mentioned that you, you, you'd you felt like you were the better team. At, at three-quarter time, you're 11 points up. You'd kick 7-10 to their 5-11. They'd been uh, inaccurate as well. But in the last quarter, they got their act into gear. They kicked three goals, one. And for you guys, you managed one goal, six. Did it? How were the nerves as you couldn't convert and, and <laughs> yeah. they were coming? And what was that like? Yeah, well, that, uh, yeah, well, that was the thing. I mean, I... You know, we just said, you know, like our good players who normally would kick goals, you know, would just kept missing all the time. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to ever sort of thought, you know, we might get roll until probably the one when Gabbo kicked it and put it in front. I thought, well, geez, there's not much time to go here. Um, you know, what are we going to do? And of course, you know, um, I mean, the guys got it out of the middle of the ground. I got it down forward, and they kicked it back, and then. Froggy grabbed it and away we went. So that sort of thing. But yeah, well, look, it was a tight finish. But because of my inexperience of that time and, and not, you know, worrying too much about, you know, what the result of the game was going to be other than you win or you lose, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, you know, I just, uh, I mean, I was just content to play the game and see what happened. I, I've read that Norm Smith described it as the most agonising he'd ever experienced in football when referring to the last quarter. Did you get a yeah, sense of uh, that from Norm, from the sidelines uh, at the time? No, not really. No, I don't think so. I, it didn't affect me. I mean, I you know, I, I could have been in the position, you know, at three-quarter time, because Peter McLean, who was a half-back flanker, was on the bench at that particular stage, and I don't think he got on the ground. And, I mean, he could have taken me off and, um, you know, put Peter McLean on to try and, you know, get something going, I suppose, but he didn't do that. So, uh, you know, the, he he just, you know, he just banked on us being a better side than them on the day, I think, um, and which, you know, I think probably school-wise and that we were, but we just couldn't, you know, we just couldn't kick a goal to, to bless ourselves in the finish. And, uh, you know, I suppose you could say it was a fluke that we won. Well, Neil Crompton kicked a good time to get his first goal of the season and then, Ian Graham wasn't able to convert for Collingwood and you're able to, to hang on to win by four points. What do you remember when the sirens sound? What were the emotions that, that you felt at the time and, and the aftermath of it all? Oh, well, I was just great relief at the end. You know, I remember throwing my arms in the air and looking around and see, you know, where the Melbourne guys were so we can, well, you know, say well done. But, uh, yeah, like it, it wasn't, um, yeah... It wasn't one of those games where, you know, you, you knew you were going to win and you could, you know, as, as happened in some grand finals, when teams are that far in front in the last quarter that they can then settle back and, you know, enjoy the minute and all the rest of it and enjoy the last part of it and think, you know, we've got this one. Well, it was never a, a situation like that. So, but, yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I just, uh, you know, I was glad we won, I suppose. You know, it wasn't probably a lot that I did that, made the result go our way, but um, there was probably a lot that other guys didn't do in terms of missing goals and that sort of thing that, you know, kept it pretty tight. It, it, it goes, hearing you talk about it, Frank, it just goes to show what we hear from a lot of successful teams that they never lose trust and they never lose faith. You know, you're down by three points with time on just around the corner and you see Hassaman miss that goal and, and as we say, Neil bobs up and, and kicks his and then Ian Graham can't convert. But I, I love, it, it's a great connection from modern footy now to, to and some things never change in footy, do they? That the, the best teams always had trust that 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 in each other that the job would get done eventually. 
Yeah, uh, yeah there's no doubt about that. I, you know, I, c- I can remember, you know, when I spent a little bit of time at Hawthorne through the 80s, and look, they, they were just a side that, um, just diverting for a minute, but they were just a side that knew they could win. Mm. Didn't matter what, what you know, what, what time, you know, what position the game or where it was, what was happening, whether they were behind or in front. At the end of the game, they were going to be in front. It was as simple as that. You know, you could just you could just tell on their demeanour and the way they played. Of course, there wasn't a Norm Smith medal back then, Frank. But if there was, uh, who do you think would have been best on ground that day in '64? Uh, I think I think Dick, I think Brian Dixon might have won it that day. Yeah, uh, he played pretty well on the wing. You know, they kicked, I think, three goals, and it was a pretty low-scoring game. Um, yeah, no, that's from Melbourne's point of view. I mean, I'm not sure you know, who were the best players from Collingwood's point of view, but um, yeah, I think from our angle, those probably two would have maybe you know vied for that uh, particular medal. Frank, obviously, the year later was when Norm Smith gets sacked after you missed the finals in '65. So, in your second year, you've gone to the heights of a premiership to then missing the grand final the year after, and then all hell breaks loose. Uh, what do you yeah. what do you remember of that time? And, and obviously, we've seen you know the curse of the Norm Smith curse of Norm Smith since, and what's happened to Melbourne since that day. But what do you remember of that time? Uh, well, firstly, I don't believe in a Norm Smith hex. I reckon that's got nothing to do with it, mate. All right, I'm going to scratch um, that next question off the. <laughs> off no, the that's all right. I mean, that's, my, that's just my view. I don't yep. think that. You know, that had anything to do with why Melbourne haven't won a premiership for 57 years. I mean, I, you know, I, don't, I can't come at that at all. But, I mean, that next year, well, we won, we won the first eight games in 65, and then mm. we played St Kilda on the Queen's Birthday Monday game, and they belted us. And sort of from there, we, um, you know, we sort of lost the plot. But I think the thing that affected Melbourne most at that stage and why we, you know, why we finished up not making it in the end was because a brassy went to Carlton. I mean, he was the guy that, you know, wouldn't have let something like that happen. I mean, he was, his input at Melbourne was, you know, to me, was just phenomenal. He was uh, a terrific leader. Uh, you know, he gritted his teeth. He didn't have a lot of, you know, he wasn't a most skilled player to play the game, but... Um, he just, you know, he just showed me, you know, how you should play football. You get in there, you get the ball, you mix it in, you, you try your hardest, and in the end, you know, you'll, you hopefully you come out on top. And I think his his leaving Melbourne was more of a distraction than what uh, Smithish, you know, the Norm Smith, what they call the Norm Smith curse was. It's a tough year, isn't it, when you lose two people that are still considered two of the most important people in, in the club's history. Again, for, for the generation that might be listening to this and those who are too young to remember, just it's a great education to, from, to hear from you, Frank Davis, on who was Ron Barassi to Melbourne? What was Ron Barassi to Melbourne? Explain, teach us about the man. Well, as I said, I only played, only played six games with him um, and probably only had a half a year of of um, contact with him, but he was, you know, he was just a fierce competitor. Um, I mean, we've seen heaps of fierce competitors over the year, but for, you know, for but back in those days, playing that sort of footy, um, yeah, he was just uh, a phenomenal leader. Um, as I said, he he um, he led by example. Uh, he showed you this is the way we're going, this is what we're doing, and uh, you know, just. Follow it, you know. Follow me, and if we're all in it together, uh, as I say, then we'll, uh, you know, then we'll get some dividends. But I think we lost that 
a bit in in '68. I mean, we had most of the most of the premiership side. Sorry, in '65, most of the premiership side was still together in '65, mm. but we just didn't have that dynamic leadership that um, that he had and that you know, that he was part of Melbourne. It made everybody walk a bit taller. It's phenomenal that that kind of presence. Um, and there's very few that get to be described like like you just have uh, with Ron Barassi. And from what I read, and I read an article that Daniel Cherney did in The Age with John Beckwith, that, and he talked about the fact that you and, and, and Barass and Hassaman and Brian Keneally um, regularly catch up, or used to before COVID sort of put paid to that, would regularly catch up. And along with John Lord too, who sadly left us earlier this year. Um, it's, it's great to have still been able to have that connection all these years on. Yeah, I oh, look. It was look. They were fantastic. I mean, I I used to have. You know, they started. I think in about two thousand and one, and I think Ron Ron started that. You know, he um, he said, you know, I think well, you know, we should get together once a month, a month, and have a a luncheon, and you know, sort of as it had it worked out, it was the last Tuesday of every month at the Bentley Club, and uh, yeah, and for years and years they asked me to go, but I was you know I was still working and wasn't I wasn't retired at that stage. But over the last Probably eight years that I've been, I was going to those luncheons. I, look, they were fantastic. I, I loved them. I enjoyed them. I learned so much about Norm Smith. I learned so much about different players and uh, you know what happened in those times. And they had some, they had some fantastic stories to tell. And I just used to sit there and and uh, I didn't say anything. I just sit there and listen and laugh and and think, you know. <laughs> These guys, you know, what are they on about? But you know, they just had all, they all had stories. I mean, I I don't know how they ever remembered them because I can't remember a lot of things that that happened when I was playing. But we didn't have the success that they did, you know. And yeah. uh, and Noel McMahon, you, you know, you know, he'd come along and um, and you know, uh, I think he's still the only living member of the 1948 Grand Final team and all the rest of it. And you know, he just had some fantastic stories and he'd be telling you about different players and what they were like and da-da-da-da-da. And yeah, that, it, was just a, it was just a great time to learn about, you know, the older players at the club that I, you know, that I never sort of personally knew, um, you know, who went through those 50, you know, the, the 50, the, uh, in the 50s and won all them premierships. Just sort of, what a sort of people they were and you could see why they were, you know why they were, you know, a great team. You know, the blokes like Bluey Adams and uh, you know uh, Ian Thurgood and all these guys who, you know, it just, uh, you know, just fantastic times. But uh, as you say, unfortunately with the COVID, it's sort of uh, shot it down at the moment. So, uh, and there's not many, you know, it gets to the stage where there's not many of those. There's only I think there's 13 of the 64 Greenership sides still alive, and there's two or three older guys that are still going, but. You know, um, the old health situation comes into it on some of mm. those things. You know, guys just can't make it there because yep. they're not well enough to get there, unfortunately. Um, Frank, I reckon there's not a, a Melbourne fan or even a footy fan who doesn't wish that they could have been a fly on the wall for those luncheons to hear some of those stories and to, to, to just sit back and do exactly what you did and take all that in. That is any football fanatic's dream to have been able to sit uh, I'd imagine, and hear those guys reminiscing and, and telling those yarns. Um, there's a, a bit of a hair on the back of the neck standing up, for, I reckon, for a lot that are listening at the moment. And um, yeah, yeah, hopefully yeah. you can get back to it soon. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, hopefully it does. And, uh, you know, they can... 
yeah, still, uh, still, you know, live a good life for a few more years. A lot of guys, you know, they're only in their mid seventies, so um, you know, they've still got a few years left in them. But uh, yeah, we'll just have to see what happens. So, Frank, we won't, won't keep you too much longer, but we're loving catching That's up right. with you. So what's it been like? I know you went away to Hawthorne and you were part of recruiting and, and you're a development officer there at the Hawks, but obviously your heart with the D's. What what's it been like from 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 that from nineteen you know sixty four to the, the ultimate success? And then I think to go, I think it was well over. I think it was um, till nineteen eighty seven that the club actually got back to finals again under Northy in his second year. And then what's everything that's happened since with you know eighty seven you know with Steinsy running over the mark and 88 that record loss and 2000 and then there's been deaths of of, 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 of important Melbourne people and there's just been a lot that, that's happened in that time how's that felt to you uh, having to you know having to see all that unfold yeah like it's it's been a bit you know it's been difficult I mean look I, as I said I went to Hawthorne and uh and did the recruiting and, and the uh, and some development work there for 14 years in a full-time capacity. And look, they were they they well, were known as a family club, and they were absolutely magnificent. I mean, they were, they had a, a fantastic coach in Alan Jeans, and he's another guy, you know, like Norm Smith, who I learned so much from as a person about what life was all about. But um, they, I mean. It's hard, you know, give yourself a pat on the back, but they recruited well, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, I, my my idea of the whole thing is, if you don't have the players, you're not going to win the premiership, or you're not, gonna, you know, you're not going to challenge for it. And uh, at the moment, Melbourne have just uh, just come to the realization that in the last say five to seven years, that you know, if they want to do well, they've got to recruit well each year, and and uh, and that's what they've done, and that's why they're in this situation. I suppose the Bulldogs are the same. Uh, but I think the Melbourne of the 70s, 80s and 90s and that sort of thing, you know, just never had the players capable of, uh, you know, of winning premierships for them. They might have had, you know, they had the Robert Flowers and they had the Gary Lyons and they had the Todd Vineys and they had all of these sort of players who were all fantastic players for them, um, but they didn't have enough of them. And, uh, you know, you've just got to be able to... Um, muster it together and, and, and develop them well. I mean, that's that's what I think is a big important thing in uh, footy today, the development of younger players and uh, through the VFL and through uh, through your club. Um, that's that's most important. And, of course, you know, recruiting is is doubly important in getting the right blokes to come to your football club and, and uh, you know, be good enough to... Um, to make a senior side and play for a number of years. I mean, I just looked at um, Christian Petrarca the other night, and he was when he was interviewed after the game, and he sort of said, "Look, I've been here for seven years, and you know, it's just all of a sudden now we start, you know, it's all falling into place." And and that's what it takes. It takes, you know, getting two or three good play, good young players together over a period of, you know, four or five years, and and they play. You know, get up around playing 60, 70, 80, 90 games. And if they're good enough, then that's that'll carry you through. I mean, you know, if Melbourne happened to win it in a couple of weeks' time, there's no reason why they probably can't win a couple more. And I mean, that seems to be the trend these days. If you're a, you know, if you're a good side and you can hang them together like Richmond have and, and the and the uh, Brisbane Lions early in the 2000s, you know, you can 
get a group of players together and keep them together, um, you know, you've got your chances of getting, you know, more than one premiership are, are well on the cards. So, Frank, does this group that you look at now, does this group and this team fill you with the most hope? Is, is, is this the team you think has the best chance to end the third longest premiership drought in VFL-AFL history? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think the way they're playing, I mean, they... They, uh, you know, as I said, they've got the, you know, the Drakas and the Olivers and they've got the Gorn in the middle and, they, you know, their back line is pretty set. They went and got May and, and uh, Jake Lever and, you know, incorporated them into a back line and uh, as the leaders there and they've got good players around them um, and up forward, you know, they're the same there. They've got, they've got you know, Frisky can kick goals for you and, uh, I mean, you know, Ben Brown's, Taking a while to settle down and get into it, and the McDonald there, and so they've got players there that can, uh, you know, can do those sort of things. And then they've got, you know, the players, you know, that um, probably don't get noticed all the time. That um, you know, Salem's and uh, you know all these guys are now playing uh, Langdon on the wing. You know, are good runners and all the rest of it. So yeah, they've got like they've got a good side. And you know, Jackson's coming on as a you know as a player and. Uh, Rivers, Sparrow, these sort of guys who, you know, we don't know a lot about at this stage, but they're all doing the job. They've always obviously all bought into the system at Melbourne. And, uh, you know, it's been successful and, you know, hopefully they can get the success they need. Frank, it's hard to know how you might feel in a moment that hasn't happened yet, but what do you think a Melbourne Premiership, without jinxing it, what, not that you believe in those, uh, how do you think, what will a Melbourne Premiership mean to you personally, do you think? Uh, well, I, look, I think it's um, look. I think to um, not so much to myself. I mean, I think it'd be good if they win it. But you know, the supporters of the club who have been hanging on and hanging on and hanging on for years and years and years, they're the ones that'll you know that'll really appreciate the fact that you know what this group of players are doing and what they you know if they happen to win it, what they have done, um, and you know, just um, just makes them. I just think for the club itself, it'll make it so much better. You know, you, uh, you know, you won't, you can, you're able to attract more supporters. You know, get more people involved, and uh, you know, financially, the club will come out of it pretty good. Um, you know, as long as the COVID disappears and they go back into it next year, it, you know, they should get good crowds and all the rest of it. So it improves everything in that regard. It's, you know, look, I, I can remember my personal year from my own family. I mean, I've got four kids. I've only got one who barracks for Melbourne. Um, the other, the three younger ones, they're going at you know, Tony in America barracks for Melbourne. But the three, three other, the two girls and and the other, well, they all barrack for Hawthorne because they were at Hawthorne, and they came through Hawthorne through their formative years when they when Hawthorne were just you know mm. a great success and won five premierships in whatever it was seven or eight years or something and played in seven or eight grand finals in a row, and that's what. You know, that's what people are about. I mean, you, back in those days, people, you probably wouldn't have been able to find a Melbourne supporter. Um, but, you know, winning is important. Winning is what will, you know, what will keep you going and, 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 you know, get you financially successful and all the rest of it. They're having to, you know, do other things. Uh, Frank, it's been just an absolute treat to catch up with you, and, and I, thank you so much. That was just phenomenal. Uh, I had about 20 more questions that I, I could have asked, and, and we might do it again another time, but thanks so much for uh, taking us down memory lane and, and taking us back to 1964. It's greatly appreciated. Enjoy 
uh, next week as best you can, uh, however you can, and hopefully for you and and for those who, who were able to experience premierships for Melbourne those years ago, that they can get a taste of it again. Thanks, mate. Not a problem. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate your time. No, thank you, sir. Greatly appreciated. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.